Dig it! Hello, welcome to episode 10. We're in double digits. Episode 10 of the Macho Movie Man podcast. And for a special double digits episode, we have finally, and I can't believe it's taken us this long, uh, we're talking about an 80s movie. Like, I genuinely cannot believe it took me 10 episodes to talk about an 80s movie. If any of you guys don't know me, uh, I am very much obsessed with the 80s. Uh, and so, 80s movies are just my favourite thing in the world. And, yeah, I have no idea how it took this long, but we're finally talking about one. And we're talking about one of my favourite ones today. Uh, I'm joined by my guest, Alfie. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're going to be talking about... The Lost Boys, one of my favourite films. Yes. Uh, the Lost Boys, released in 1987. Yeah. Uh, and directed by Joel Schumacher, which is kind of... Joel Schumacher... Uh, R.I.P. He died last year. Um, Didn't actually know that. Yeah. Uh, He was old. Um, Happens. Yeah. Life happens. It does. But, um, yeah, he gets unfairly maligned, I feel, as a director, because he made a lot of good films, but people just remember the Batman stuff, because it's very... It's very known, it's very memorable, his mistakes with Batman. Uh, Batman Forever, which is a bad movie, but is okay compared to Batman and Robin, which was bat, nip, bat nipples, um, Mr. Freeze ice puns, which I don't mind, but that's me, so. I mean, I don't know if I mind his bat nips, but, you know, each their own. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it's a terrible movie, but um, and that kind of clouded his career because he's made a lot of good films. He made obviously, the Lost Boys. He made Falling Down, which was a movie starring Michael Douglas in the nineties, very much a guy goes postal story. Uh, he also made a weird. He made a film in Ireland about a journalist from the nineties, who was it was based on a real life story of a journalist, Irish journalist who was murdered by Irish gangs. Damn, I didn't know that. What's it yeah, called? Yeah, it's called Von Kagiran. That actually sounds familiar. Yeah, it <laughs> was Joel Schumacher. Kate Blanchett was in it. Oh, nice. Yeah, and she does a really good Dublin accent. Well, that's just me. Just whenever I hear a Dublin accent, it's just like... You're even you're I'm laser. F- you're, you're, you've got a tin ear for Irish accent, but when it's a Dublin accent, it's just like... <laughs> I really go in and just examine that like yeah also I feel like people are especially bad for butchering the Irish accent like they can really nail too but anything after that and it's yeah it's so bad but also like <sighs> Dublin accents in particular because like there's more than one Dublin accent oh yeah there's north side and the south side yeah you know d D4 accent yeah D4 <laughs> accent is very <laughs> Like oh, oh, it's only a micro. Oh. And then you have, you know, the rough Dublin accent, which is very much, eh, how are you? What's the starry boys? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, and this is by far his best movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is like the one I know him for. Yeah, this was, 
I mean, he had done St. Elmo's Fire a few years before this. They actually have a reference to that in yeah, the film. A, they have a movie poster up. Yeah, there's a few posters. Uh, and, yeah, uh, we'll go through the cast. Obviously, uh, well, we'll go into the plot first. It's basically uh, two brothers who move with their single mother to this seaside town in California, which is the murder capital of the world. And uh, they uh, get on the wrong side of some uh, teenage vampire gang. Yeah. <laughs> which, with just the most 80s hair, the most 80s outfits. The 80s music, which I love. Yes, this is just wall-to-wall <laughs> 80s sexiness. Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons why the later films just didn't do as well because they really went for a 2000s feel yeah and 2000s feel was just not what the lost boys was. i don't want to see a lost boys version in any other form than an 80s form yeah like if you were to do one right now you'd have to do a very retroistic feel yeah to get it right well you just don't do it at all but uh yeah leave leave it dead just, yes it had one good film uh <laughs> And that's all you need. Yeah. But uh, you have the characters of Michael, played by Jason Patrick, who this is, again, his, obviously his film he's most known for. He had a decent career going, and then he was in Speed 2 with Sandra Bullock. Yes. I and actually, I lo- not a good film, but I do like that film. Yes, it's one of the, go- <laughs> it's one of the go-to sequel name jokes. Yeah. yeah. Cruise <laughs> Control. <laughs> Quite frankly, I prefer the third Speed movie. There's a third one? That Friday Ted episode with the milk float. Oh. Speed 3. Of course, of yes. course. How can I forget? It's a very hairy babies for <laughs> some very hairy babies on Craggy Island. <laughs> but you have the younger brother Sam, who's played by Corey Haim, no longer with us, unfortunately. Uh, the mother Lucy, played by Diane Weist, she had a, she won an Oscar. It was either in the late seventies or early eighties, and she was, she was very much a a mother character. Very much so, she was the actress you got around that point in time if you needed a mother, you needed a strong mother role. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I mainly just know her for that one joke on Brooklyn Nine Nine. I don't think I know the joke. <laughs> Basically, one of the characters is just like, oh, I went on the, oh, I watched so-and-so on Broadway this weekend, and I went on a Diane Weist marathon, but he said, he said it was like, I got a Diane Weist infection. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you have David, the main vampire, Kiefer Sutherland. Yes. Obviously, Jack Bauer... Every dad's favorite action hero. <laughs> oh, I I swear I would not know who Kiefer Sutherland was if it was not for like my dad watching every show he was in. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you have the character of Max, uh, played by actor Edward Herman, uh, Star, played by Jamie Gertz, Edgar Frog, Corey Feldman, the yes. other Corey. Uh, Stand By Me, The Goonies, yes. very much a big star in the 80s. Yeah, he was like a teen heartthrob at that time. Yes. Like, he was like one of like the big idols. Him and the other Corey, I think, had like a reality show or yeah, something. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. And now he is, he's a bit on the strange side. 
Yeah, he kind of he got a bit weird as he got older. I think yeah. he just him and Crispin Glover just on the sort of weird level. But again, Corey Feldman is on that weird level of like shit fucked him up over the years. Yeah, I don't think Crispin Glo- Crispin Glover has ever been normal. <laughs> I feel like Corey Feldman was normal at some point. Yeah, Corey falls into the category of people who just kind of got screwed from growing up in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, it's it's kind of, a, it, to a certain extent, inevitable. Very few teenagers, I feel like, make it out of yeah their Hollywood careers as teens without but, going a little off the rails. But, like, the Hollywoods that, like, we're currently seeing slowly being washed out was yeah. fucking rampant when he was young. So Yeah, like, it was proper Hollywood, that. Hollywood. Like, they were getting away with really, like, a lot of shady shit, a lot more yeah. drugs, everything... Like, to a certain extent, the media wasn't picking up as much of the things yeah. that were going on. Like, again, I watched a show, I watched a documentary a few a uh, couple months ago called Kid 90, where it was very much 90s child stars, and yeah, the shit they were saying about Hollywood there, it's like, that's so wrong. Yeah. Like, like at least now, like, there's still a lot of shit that's being hidden that's super shady. Yeah. But I feel like to a certain extent, it's easier to get caught now. Yeah. So it's not as prevalent yeah. as it was before. I don't think the shit that happened to Corey Feldman is going to happen to another child star in this day and age. Not to the same extent. They're a lot more yeah. monitored. Like, I'm sure there's always going to be those few, like, case examples. Like, to a certain extent, if you're around with a lot of money, yeah. some things are just going to... There's always going to be a couple that have gone that way, but largely the contracts are much stricter now, just for yeah. legal reasons for the companies themselves. Yeah. Also, it's easier to uh, just get get the truth out there. Like, an actor can just go on Twitter and type something up and, you know, people will see it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have, who played Edgar Frog, the Frog Brothers. Yes. Just maybe the best part of the movie. Yeah. Or top five. Yeah. But, uh... I think he was the only one that survived all the films. Like, he he made it through all of them, didn't he? Uh, again, I haven't seen the two sequels, mainly because Corey... when I saw this the first time, you specifically told me, stay away from the two sequels. That's... Yeah, no, I do advise that. I went through a Lost Boys phase and hunted them down years and years ago. But if that's, um... That's Corey Feldman, right? Uh, Corey Feldman was Edgar. Yeah, I know. Edgar, I'm looking, yeah, he's the only one. Yeah, in all looking three films. through, uh, looking through the IMDb on all three of them. Yeah, he was in the first sequel, and then in the second sequel, they yeah. got Alan back, who was played by the same actor, Jameson Newlander, yeah. which is an awesome name. I think both the Corys were in the second film, and then. Uh no, I think it was. May I don't know. I the can't... the little brother was in it, like the Sam. Yeah. Um, and then uh. Again, you had the teen vampires. The only one I really put down as a cast member was Marco because that's Alex Winter, who Mm. was Ted. Oh, no, Bill from Bill and Ted. Oh. Yeah, Marco, the the, the first one to die, the one that gets stabbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, he was Bill. He was, like, Bill's here as Alexander Winter, but he got rid of the Ander and went on to be in Bill and Ted. Damn, nice. Yeah. And went on to direct stuff after Bill and Ted, which is why Keanu went on to be Keanu and the other guy didn't. Hmm. Yes. The more you know. Yeah. Uh, we'll go into some pre-production facts. Uh, originally, Richard Donner was meant to direct this, who had done 
uh, Superman, the first Christopher Reeve one, he had done parts of Superman 2 before they fired him and got someone else in, uh, which is why we ended up with the original version of the Snyder Cut in the mid-2000s with the Donner Cut main, mainly, which was all the footage from the Superman 2 that Donner made. But uh, that, uh, what else did he do? He, he did Goonies. Lots so Goonies. he was... So it was like basically him and Spielberg would have been like the two top sort of eighties blockbuster directors. Oh, absolutely, Spielberg especially like he was yeah. huge. But Donna was originally meant to direct it, but then the project stalled for ages, and uh, Donna he stayed on as an executive producer, but he went off to direct Lethal Weapon, which came out the same year, nineteen eighty seven. Great film. Uh, and. Definitely, but uh, and that's why he remained as an exec producer, but Schumacher came on board to direct. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Schumacher openly said he wanted to make the film sexy because he thought vampires were the only erotic monsters. I also found out that the reason why it was called The Lost Boys was originally they wanted to do like a kind of Peter Pan vampire yeah. thing. So they wanted it to be like way younger people, and I think that's why they have... um. The character, I think it's Letty, the like small child that's like a half vampire yeah. in it. I think that's why that character is in there because it's like the one young one that was like got to stay. But uh, when was it Shoemaker? I'm terrible. Schumacher. Schumacher. I'm terrible with names. That's but when he came in, he like kind of made them all older and kind of like you know teenagers, yeah, twenty year olds playing teenagers. And in fairness, he does have a point because we you know Frankenstein's been around for decades and decades and we've never been able to make uh, Frankenstein sexy no that kind of it ruins Frankenstein yeah that's like that's not what you're in that story for yeah I can't think of any other monsters that you could make sexy other than vampires although if you think about it they kind of did it like Frankenstein sexy for um uh, what was it season three of American Horror Story where they had that guy cut up and then sewn back together that's the closest to a sexy Frankenstein mm. story I think that exists in modern day. Hmm. I, I did not know that. Yeah, it's like it's not directly Frankenstein, but they like he gets cut up and they like, it's, it's use necromancy to like yeah. sew him back up. Yeah. Fair. Uh, uh, Keith Sutherland was hesitant at first to take the part, but uh, he got on board when he found out uh, it was an Australian band. Um, in 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 Sen. Uh, it's something capital letters, some Australian band. In, it's not in sync. It's like. I'm so bad with names. I know a couple of the artists that are in the film. Well, basically, <laughs> it was a band that Sutherland had become a big fan of when he spent a year mm. living in Australia. So that's what he was like. They're working on the soundtrack. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. That's neat. Yeah. It's it's kind of like I I'd love to be in that position where it's like do you want to do a movie just because you like some of this on the soundtrack I'm like sure I'd yeah. do it if I like the artist enough yeah. I would I hands down I would do it <laughs> yeah uh Jamie Gertz was the one who recommended Jason Patrick for the role which I just oh, thought it's, you know, it's it's cool yeah that's neat yeah. uh Corey Feldman was very close to getting fired off the shoot. Because he was co- he'd be coming in during the days mm. just off a cocaine high. Yeah, I guess it would have been a little bit into his career if he was already kind of going down yeah. that rabbit I hole. I mean, th- again, this was 
post Goonies. Yeah, yeah, and Goonies was like I, I guess that was like his first like really big thing. I I feel like Goonies would have gotten you famous enough to where you could have definitely gotten coke. Def- especially back then. Yeah. You know, I feel like to a certain extent they had yeah. easier access to drugs and less likely to get caught. But yeah, he was almost right because he'd come in the morning after like coke highs and mm-hmm. you know, it was very obvious that he was on the coming coming on the on the down from it and it was affecting his performance and yeah. Joel Schumacher was that very close to cutting him just from the film. Damn. Yeah. All right. <laughs> onto uh, sl- onto slightly uh, happier ones. This was the first time the two cores had been on screen together. I did find yeah. that out when I was doing like a little bit of research for this. Although <laughs> Haim had, although they had both been, they had both auditioned for the same role in The Goonies. Oh, wow. I did not know that. No, they both went for Mouth in uh, The Goonies, but Feldman got it. Damn. Feldman is like, like, I can't imagine someone else playing that character. Same. Uh, In fairness. He does it so well. (laughs) There's a a fair few characters in The Goonies where I can't picture anyone else. Yeah, they kind of just, it's it's like it's just their piece. I can't can't picture the guy who played, anyone other than the guy who played Chunk playing Chunk. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> or um, short round from uh, Temple of Doom honestly I don't think I can imagine any of the like core characters being different people true but uh, those those especially those know? especially definitely yeah <laughs> yeah. I always find it weird that Josh Brolin was in the Goonies I always forget that yeah and and Samwise from Lord of the Rings as well that one I remember I like oh, yeah. that one <laughs> uh some 2,000 locals from the area uh, successfully applied to be extras. Like, apparently there was... Because, again, this was, mm. you know, it was a real town. Uh, and, obviously, there, I think there was somewhere around, like, maybe five, 6,000 applications for roles as extras, and about 2,000 got chosen. Yeah, what I found out, which I didn't actually realise, is that... Santa Carla, where like the film is based in, like it's, like in the world of the movie. It's originally called. It's actually called Santa. Cruz. It's it's Santa Cruz, and yeah. they just made that up. But I always just assumed that like Santa Carla was a place in the same area as the yeah. other kind of like Santa whatever areas. Yeah, that exist it's in America. It one hundred percent sounds like there is a place called Santa Carla because yeah, like there's I just a place assumed it was called a Santa Clara. So it's just like. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's just I just assumed it's just missing a letter, and I imagine there is somewhere called that somewhere in America, but it's just not there. I think it, part of it was just so that way they wouldn't have to question yeah. the murder capital of the world. It was just make it a yeah. slightly um, fictitious. <laughs> actually, no. I have a note here. Ooh. In real life, Santa Cruz legitimately had a reputation as a murder capital, because in the seventies they had had a mass murderer. Followed by two simultaneous serial killers. Nice. I guess that kind of fits, because horror is used to get rid of, like, to deal with societal fear yeah. to a certain extent. And it is, like, it's a lighthearted film, Blood's Boys, but it is technically a horror comedy. Yeah. I just find that mental. That is mental. That, that they were just, like, able, <laughs> they were just like, oh, we need somewhere that's, like, can come across, like, a judgy place, like, a lot of murders happen. Oh, wait, there's an exact town (laughs) that is everything we need. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Jim Carrey was originally considered for the role of David. 
Oh. Would not have worked. That's weird. I don't... Yeah. I like Jim Carrey, but like not. Yeah, no, this... <laughs> again, this was... Also, this was 80s Jim Carrey. I, I don't think I've ever seen 80s Jim Carrey. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what that looks like. No, all Maybe I know... Maybe if he'd done The Lost Boys, he would have ended up in different roles. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like... But then we wouldn't have, like, 94 Jim Carrey, so, like... That was solid. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the entire film was the entire thing was filmed in three weeks. Oh shit! That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, that is that sounds very that sounds relaxing, but also stressful as fuck. I it makes me kind of understand why the director was willing to get rid of Corey Feldman. Yeah, because like that's like even though there is only like a few main locations that is a tight fucking schedule yeah. to get it all done and time. also the fact that him and I think it was like the main effects guy were constantly at loggerheads yeah but in the years since the head of like that department has been like I clashed with Joel a lot but looking from what we uh, made you know I'm okay with that even just organizing so, like, extras yeah there's no there's no bad blood there which is nice it is nice you know, when that happens yeah, uh, let's see, any more? No, that's pretty much it in terms of things until we get to like posts or whatever. Yeah. Uh, step by step, okay, it opens with um, uh, David's gang just creeping around a fun fair. Yeah, just like some spooky yeah. shots, and they have um, their little sister, I think, is playing like throughout that whole opening. Yeah. It's really good. It and was... yeah, they're on the fair, they're on the Merry go around. Merry go around. Yeah. Yes. I'd say fair as well. I was like, no, I'm getting my, I'm getting my uh, slow rides mixed up. Yeah. But um, yeah. So they're just creeping around the pier, and the copper's just like, I said no. So the copper bites it. Yeah. The, the police officer kicks them out of uh, the boardwalk, and then they like follow him off. Yeah, they and kill him. They they fly up. They fly and just you know. Get him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. Yeah. First death of the film happens very early on. Yeah. Something and, I like. I feel the, like I always forgot that opening when I was younger. Yeah. Um, in fairness, like, you know, it feels like, you know, the When People Are Strange montage feels very much like it would be an opening. Yeah. I think I always just assumed that was the opening in my head. And every time I go to watch it, I'm like, yeah. oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, it's they, real nice, though. I do yeah. like the opening. And, like, and again, Cry Little Sister is just amazing. Yeah. It was specially made for the film. Yeah. Um, fantastic song. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, we get the we get the bit, the scene with Michael, Sam, and their mother driving into Santa Carla. And again, we get the People Are Strange montage. Yes. Which is what I imagine all sort of old people look at teenagers like. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's what's going on in their head when like the teenagers are out. <laughs> yes. Despite the fact that some of these people are far too old to be playing teenagers. <laughs> what I love with the montage, though, is it goes from like, you know, just like pretty chill, like nice, like shots of the city and people doing things. And you're like, okay, they're introducing you to the town. And then it's like all of the missing person posters just like popping up in the montage yeah. everywhere once it gets like halfway through it. And you're like, oh. Okay. And it's not a sh- and it's not afraid to like show like some of these areas are kips. Yeah, like they're not well maintained. There's a lot of like poverty and just like issues. Just but. But I'd know. still want to live there. Yeah, it gives like a real sunny feel to something that's outwardly drab and 
dire. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> like if someone put Balibana at the beach. Yeah. If they were like, and it's all sunny all the time. And you're like, yeah. well, there's sunshine. <laughs> and, and like, you know, sexy saxophone players. Yes, the sexy saxophone player. Uh, well, first off, we're gonna they they turn up at grandpa's, and yes. you know you get some slightly outdated uh, cultural references, just like no TV. That means no MTV. My favorite thing is the they reference Texas Chainsaw Massacre twice within them first getting into the house. Like I think the younger brother makes a joke first. Then, like, maybe five minutes later, the older brother, Michael, is like, no, this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre or yeah. something like that. And I was like, yes. Is that when they find um the stuffed... All the stuffed animals. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I never, like, picked up on that joke when I was younger because so I didn't watch horror films much. Yeah. But watching it recently when, like, that came up, I was like, wow. And I was like, it actually does kind of look yeah. like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre-esque house. Absolutely. And, obviously, we can't, like, not address, like... Sam's wardrobe in this film is... Oh, I love his wardrobe. I mean... It's so 80s. <laughs> there's a reason why there's a theory that Sam is gay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know they try and, like, go against that by having a Molly Ringwall poster in his room, but I feel like in the 80s, that would actually make him more gay. I feel like... So, something I found interesting is that the Molly Ringwall poster from uh, 16 Candles... Yeah. The person that plays Star in The Lost Boys was in that film, and she's in that poster, but she's just not, like, a main person. Like, she was, like, a minor character in oh. 16 Candles, which would have been, like, I think, like, two, three years before this one came 84. out. 84. Yeah, it was... Yeah, it, three years. Yeah, it was, yeah. like, 84, 85. It was one or the other. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I yeah. thought that was really interesting. No. I, I feel like having a Molly Ringwall poster in your room as a guy in the 80s would be very much like just having a Glee poster and just being like, oh, he's straight. Look, Leah Michelle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and also like for Rob Lowe poster when he was at like, like peak sexiest star in the world. Yeah, that was St. Yeah. Elmo's. St. Elmo's, yeah. But yeah. again, this was like... You know, peak yeah. sex god Rob Lowe. Yeah. It was... So it's like, yeah, you're sending mess- you're sending signals here, movie. Yeah, the room itself seems sexually confused. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, also like the musical number in the bathtub, like and the, wa- That's the, wild, I always... the wild out- the wild outfits. I always love that scene. He's just in the bathtub singing himself. I'm like, yeah, that's what a bath should yeah. be. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and like I said, the wardrobe that is just out of my dreams. Yeah. The no, shirts. People just don't really dress like that anymore. They should. But, they uh, should. It should come back. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, so obviously outdated cultural references. We find out, yeah, the mother's there because they've divorced and her situation hasn't really gotten better. So they moved in with grandpa and whatnot. And then it cuts to the pier later that night and (laughs) sexy, oily saxophone player. Yeah. Dressed in purple. Again, it's like another thing I always forget that's in that film. And then I watch it again and I'm like, oh, this scene is so good. (laughs) Joel Schumacher has this weird thing of putting erotic scenes randomly into his films. Like, again, Mm. that... uh, the openings of Batman and Robin and Batman Forever 
is just shots of Batman getting into the suit, mm. just like Bat Butt. Yeah. And he also does it later in Batman and Robin when Batgirl is getting into the suit. So it's just like a close-up on like the tits on the suit. <laughs> so it's just like so much eroticism. <laughs> I also found out that a uh, saxophone player, it was uh, for some kind of Beverly Hills TV show. But he had auditioned for it and he hadn't gotten it. And then he ended up getting this instead. And it became one of like the most iconic pieces that that saxophone player has ever been in. But he was trained properly, like classically, by a bunch of like really prestigious people. He but went, he is just known for this role in this film. And it is really good. He went to Juilliard or whatever they call it. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, so obviously Michael sees Star and is just immediately into her. Oh, well, how could you not? Yeah. <laughs> Absolute babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sexy path vampire, you know? Yeah, I'd yeah. be curious. Uh, Lucy meets Max at the video store yes. where we get the... Where we start to get the um, the first signs of, oh, Max doesn't like David and his gang, which is a red herring to put us off what later happens. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and... Um, Sam meets the Frog Brothers at the uh, comic, comic book, book shop. Store. And they just show him the horror comic as sort of a wink-wink. Like, yeah, vampires. <laughs> be, be, be aware. This, this guide will save your life someday. Yes. And he's like, okay, people in this town are fucking weird. <laughs> I mean, if two lads came up to me in a comic book shop and started trying to hint at vampires being real, I wouldn't believe them, but I'd also kind of believe them. I'm so willing for something like weird to just be out there though someone was like dead convinced i'd be like all right i'm not saying i believe you but i'll take this comic book and i'm gonna study it just in case you're yeah. right and we'll see what happens absolutely <laughs> but yeah so there he's informed of santa carl is a vampire problem uh uh david goads michael into following them to their lair at the sunken hotel via 80s dramatic motorcycle chase. Of course, an absolute classic. You need a motorcycle chase. <laughs> Absolutely. And just the, the uh, I love how extra they are with the lair where it's like, this used to be a hotel, but an earthquake sunk it into the, sunk it into the ocean. <laughs> it's just like, you couldn't have a tree house. It has to be a sunken cave yeah, hotel. It's a literal bat cave for the vampires. Hmm. Like, you need it. <laughs> a literal bat cave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I just realized it ties in. <laughs> Joel Schumer, back at it again. Schumacher? I'm Schumacher. gonna keep getting that wrong. Uh, where Michael feeds on maggots and blood inadvertently. Which is I which is one of the most iconic things in the movie, the maggots, cause that's on like the like the D V D re releases. Yeah. Like the ones where it's like, oh Universal's hundred year anniversary thing. So it's like they have all these movies and, like, a tagline that's a quote from the movie and, like, the Lost Boys one is the Chinese but Chinese meal. The, like, takeaway boxes. Yeah, yeah, the takeaway boxes. Uh, and it's just, like, you're eating maggots, Michael. Yeah, yeah. I love that because with both of the the few things where they're like the the like rice was maggots and the noodles yeah. were like worms or whatever. I love that they used it as like a weird hallucination thing. So that by the time it got to like 
the wine, which was blood, and someone was like, it's blood. He was like, oh, yeah, it's blood, sure, okay, and then drinks it, and you're like, oh, you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, although although saying that on the DVD, if you, like, did not know what the Lost Boys were, I'm not sure how well that would sell it. I was just like, let's get this DVD of this movie. What's it about? Uh, looking on the box, it looks like maggots. <laughs> <laughs> it's just some guy eating maggots. We're not really yeah. sure. Let's find out. Oh, I now I see what Fear Factor was based off of. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, they have the scene with the railway bridge, which is awesome. That is my favorite scene in the entire film. I remember watching the film when I was a kid and seeing that scene and being like, "This is a great film." Like, the, like at this point, this film was fucking fantastic. Because it's such a mind fuck. Like, imagine that, and then just waking up the next morning. Yeah, they just immediately, like, that. hard cut, and you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, he wakes up the next morning, and Michael starts to show signs of the transformation to the point where the dog just bites him and it freaks out Sam. Yeah, and he's asking for, like, sunglasses to talk on the phone to his mom because he can't deal with the light yeah. and stuff. Oh, and then the mother just starts uh, getting suspicious, and it's just like... Are we friends? <laughs> Don't you love me? Are we friends? You know we can talk let's, about let's, things. Let's talk like friends. Yeah. yeah. And like this can't continue once school starts. You know that, Michael. Yeah. And I like that where it's like she's, un- she's, she's blissfully unaware that there's vampires, but she knows that something's up. Yeah. In her head, she's probably thinking it's a new town yeah. and he's decided to go more the delinquent side and he's been out drinking he's joined a violence gang yeah like she she thinks he's out drinking maybe doing some drugs and then he's actually trying to be a good little boy but he's also accidentally gotten intertwined with vampires in fairness (laughs) the 80s where it's like drug gangs and vampires Mm. there's such a beautiful mixture that it would only work at this point you know yeah, plus I feel like uh, in general, like kind of delinquents, drug addicts, punks in general, have just constantly been tied into the slightly more modern vampires that kind of started showing up in like the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, uh, what what's the next bit? So yeah, so he starts to show signs. The dog bites him, and you get the whole levitating bit. Yes. Where we get a random flying nun reference. I didn't pick up on that at all. What was that? I think it was just like, oh yeah, what are you, the flying nun? <laughs> Went straight over my head. <laughs> no, like, I love like it. Like a flying nun. <laughs> I love seeing um, Michael in that scene where he just, uh, the mom calls and Sam's talking to her on one landline phone and Michael's flying out the window and like the only thing keeping him down is like him holding onto the phone because yeah. he's no fucking clue what he's doing. Um, but it's it's so great. It's such an iconic scene, just him like flying out the window. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's leave. Let's leave them at home alone. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> uh, Sam seeks advice from the Frog Brothers, so who tell him, "Yep, he's a vampire. You gotta kill him. <laughs> just kill your brother. It's no big deal. We promise." Yeah, I do. I love how serious how they they play it so straight. The Frog Brothers, and that's what makes it amazing. Yeah, because like. They're their almost characters, from a different film. Yeah, because they're taking it all like so seriously. They're like, yes, vampires are real and we know exactly what to do and you have to kill them and there's there's nothing else you gotta do. You just, you have to kill them. There's nothing else for it. And he's like, well, he's, he's my brother, so there there has to be something right. else. But like, they're the only two who are very serious about the fact that we must kill vampires. vampires also, also uh, Edgar Allan Poe reference. Yes, I did. I do like that. Yeah. Uh, 
and I think Schumacher told them uh, they he they said the car the frog brothers were modeled off like the action heroes of the time, so it was like very Sylvester Stallone and Chuck Norris play yeah. it like that. Yeah, he wanted them to essentially watch all those like old films like a uh, Rambo in them, mm-hmm. and just get a feel for all of those like big action heavy characters, and then try to do that. Yes, and they did. They did. It comes off so funny though. Yeah. Uh, but Sam later deduces uh, that Michael, he's only a half-vampire because he hasn't killed anyone yet. So uh, as long as they can kill the head vampire, Michael can be human again. Yeah. So, like, at this point, it's basically a race against the clock to try to figure out who it is before... They're like his brother just has no choice and ends up accidentally killing someone. And like we said earlier, at this point Lucy starts to become suspicious, and it's very, it's very Mm. becomes very much a case of like, yeah, this film's a message about like teen gangs. Yeah, and also Sam's freaking out with um Max, who's dating Lucy like the mother. Yeah, and keeps like just acting out in strange ways because he thinks Max might be a vampire and then it's just proven. Yes, uh, and they and get, and Sam and the Frog Brothers, you know, they get suspicious and they try to reveal him as a vampire over a dinner, but it doesn't work. No. Which really works because, again, that continues the red herring of like, oh, it can't be Max. See, we've proven it wrong. Yeah, you know. He's he, just the nice guy who's dating their mother. <laughs> yeah, he has a reflection. He came into the house. He ate some garlic. He must be all good, you know. Yeah. Star reveals herself as a half vampire. Uh, I believe this is at the point where they uh, hook up. I th- think so. Yeah. 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 Good. Good. <laughs> good. Good for Michael. Uh, Getting in there. Yeah. Amongst you're, all the stress, he's yeah. He's finding some time to have yeah. fun. Yeah. Things haven't <laughs> been going your way. You're a half vampire now, but look, you scored with a woman. Yeah, I mean, he only ended up becoming a vampire because he was trying to score with that one. Yeah. So, I'm I'm happy he got the chance. Yes. <laughs> uh, I see. Uh, and mani- but Michael manages to escape becoming a full vampire after David tries to get them to stalk beachgoers. I actually love that scene. Just of them, like, all hiding in, like, that one tree and just perching. Yeah. And waiting to just attack these random, like, people uh, just out getting sashed. Would have absolutely been terrifying to be attacked with vampires with mullets that good. Even if I was just out having drinks with a few mates on the beach and I turned around and there was a group of, like, five different lads just perched in a tree looking at me all creepy, I would be so fucking uncomfortable. Like, I, I, I would have I fled. I get noticed on fucking secondary school students in, a ga- in, in groups, like... <laughs> Like, it is a big group of secondary school students. I walked to the other side of the road, like... <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not going near that. <laughs> not worth the risk. No. And I used to be one of them. <laughs> oh. uh, the next day, they all go to the vampire's lair, which is uh, cool. It is cool. Mm. It's very cool. Michael stays in the car, which, uh, you know... Because he can't <laughs> go out in the sunlight, which, you know... Which very much comes across as, like, he's hungover. <laughs> Yeah, he's just, like, hiding out there. Yeah. He scored the night before, but now he's hungover. Yeah, I think he manages to get in afterwards, and he brings out Letty, like, the small kid. They manage to rescue Star and... I think it's Laddie? Laddie, you're right. Yeah. Which just makes it sound like some Scottish person's dog. Oh, yeah. Come here, Laddie. (laughs) I just... 
God damn it, Jake. I told myself no more bad accents after last week. Bad accents is just one of those things, yeah. you know, they just, they pop up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but they wake up David and his gang after they, they murder Marco. Poor, they do. Poor Bill. <laughs> what I love about that scene when they go down into like the cave and like all the guys are like hanging up upside down sleeping. Yeah. Is you can see in that moment like how unprepared the Frog Brothers are in it. Because like they're just kind of standing there. They're like, well, I guess, I mean, they're sleeping. So I guess we stab one of them, but they don't even like try to kill multiple at once. They just like, they're just like, all right, this one. And then they all flip their shit. And they are, so it's like they're act, they are, so it's like they spend the entire time being like, oh, we're these tough kids, you know, like we know all the shit. And then they actually get to a vampire. It was like, Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, the immediate fleeing once everyone else uh, obviously wakes up. Uh, uh, de- and so with Lucy out with Max on a date, everyone arms themselves with uh, stakes mm-hmm. with a longbow, and in one of the fun, maybe the funniest bit in the movie, they br- they go into the church while there's a mass going on, and they just start going after the holy water, yeah. filling it in like the water. Guns. Yeah, I can't remember. I think it was a christening, but it was like you could oh, tell it was like some like small little family event. Really, like more or less empty church, just like the few family members, and then like the two guys running in all their camo gear, fucking filthy from being down in the vampire lair. And they're like, we need to get the holy water. <laughs> uh, and then later that night, David's gang attack the house, and one by one they start taking out the vampires. One gets dissolved in the bath full of holy water. That is my favorite kill because that kill is done by Nanook, the dog, and one of my favorite characters in the whole film. I love that dog. Oh. Uh, another <laughs> one is uh, arrows through the heart and electrocuted and burned by a big stereo explosion. That one was rough. Yeah. <laughs> no, this this was the bit in the movie where like the special effects team got to really have fun. Also, the special effects, considering that this film came out in the late eighties, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. In- they got away with so much good. stuff. Has and it holds up really well. It does. Like even even now, like I watch that yeah. film and like there's nothing that's actually like too jarring yeah. in it. Like all of it works really well. Uh, and then obviously Michael impales David on one of the antlers on one of the stuffed animals. But twist, the curse still isn't lifted. It was Max all along. And he got away with it because they invited him into the house. And by vampire law, you cannot, uh, you cannot reveal a vampire once you've invited them into your gaff. Yeah. You basically, like, if you let them in, they're just like, well, that's on you. The vampire rules. Moral of the story, never invite a vampire to a sesh. <laughs> Never invite him to a gaff party. Never invite him, man. No. Fuck them bitches. They can stay. They can stay outside with the smokers. Yeah. Uh, and he reveals that his plan all along was to convert the whole family, so yeah. that yo know, he'd have two more lost boys, and that the lost boys would have a mother. Yeah, very, oh. very Peter Pan esque. Very slightly, slightly sweet, but also very creepy. Yeah, super creepy. Super creepy in execution. Yeah. Very upsetting. <laughs> yeah, but but the sentiment, I you know. Yeah, if he hadn't been so shady about it, yeah, it uh, it wouldn't have been so bad. <laughs> and then obviously, Grandpa drives into the house, saves the day, knocks him and like impales Max, and just was like, oh, fucking hated the vampires around these parts. That like that scene is absolutely classic to me because it's just like he drives in, the stake comes off like the truck. 
stabs him dead. He just walks over to the fridge, grabs beer, and he's like, always love this town, but I never could get over all the fucking vampires. And you're like, my dude, so calm, so chill. Just like <laughs> you, knew the, you knew the whole time, old man. <laughs> Didn't think tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's get into post-production. Uh, yes. This movie had three big release dates. It was released on the 31st of July, 1987, in the US, the 23rd of October in the UK, and in Ireland, the 28th of January, 1988. Hmm. Which is really weird, considering, like, the jump, the gap between, like, the UK release and here, when, even yeah. back then, it would kind of been usually around the same time. Yeah, they'd always been relatively close yeah. together. But, uh, no, that 31st of July... Uh, that definitely put it in like a certain class of summer movies because that's kind of the spot that early August spot that's where you put the wildcard movies where you're not sure how it's going to do so you don't put it in like a big release date like you would at like the first weekend in May or the 4th of July weekend yeah but uh, yeah it was made on a budget of eight and a half million damn uh, which is which is de- which is a decent little budget for like the eighties. Yeah, like if you're counting in inflation, that's that's probably a lot nowadays. Yeah. It's probably a lot more. Opening weekend in the US it made five point two million. That's pretty good for your opening yeah. weekend. It came second behind the Living Daylights. I don't know if I know that film. That was the first Timothy Dal Timothy Dalton Bond movie. Oh, okay. And I will say this, throughout its entire run, it had strong competition. Yeah. Like, at this point, Robocop would would still be in that top five. Predator would still kind of be hanging in there. Like, there was this big, um, like, I saw this photo recently where it was like, it's it's this photo of, like, a cinema... Like, they were talking about those shopping centres, the signs that were just like, oh, cinema, shops, whatever... And it was just like the listings for the cinema where it's like everything was being shown. The Lost Boys, Robocop, Predator, Full Metal Jacket, the four films that are being advertised where it's just like, it's 1987. Which of these do you go see? Because all of them were playing at the same time. Uh, having just watched The Lost Boys last night, I'd probably still pick it. Yeah. But, probably, but <laughs> really like, that film. is really strong. It is. That that's is. like, that's a really good lineup. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that, like, I think it opened, like, number two, and then, like, Robocop was number three that week. Yeah. I mean, Robocop had already been out a couple of weeks at that point, but still. Yeah. Uh, let's see. It, in the UK opening weekend, it made 80,000, which is, you know, the UK at that point, you know, that's good. That's pretty good. Like, the UK is much, much smaller than the US. Yeah. But, uh,. It ended up being the 33rd highest grossing film of 1987. Damn! Which is good, considering it was. It came ahead of films like Little Shop of Horrors, Superman 4, which is... Oof, you think Batman and Robin's bad. Superman 4. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, and Princess Bride. The Princess, Princess Bride. Oh, that, that's, that's a classic. Yeah. Like, 1987, that's a strong year. Because, like, that again, that year. top ten would have been stuff like Platoon and mm. Beverly Hills Cop 2, whatnot. Yeah. But, yeah, like, 33rd, that's really good. And I think 
Its overall gross worldwide was thirty two point three million. Damn. So like that wasn't a that was like a minor success. So that kind of shows like what movies at the time were like when like The Lost Boys is classified as a minor success. Although at thirty two million, like that's four times their original budget. Yeah. You know, give or take a couple decimal points. Yes. Yeah. Uh let's see. The na- the word Michael is is said a hundred and eighteen times throughout the movie. <laughs> oh, I believe that you just sound in the background and be like Michael Michael! <laughs> the entire film. Alright. Uh, let's see. It, it it kind of invented the phrase vamp out because that became that got into the public consciousness yeah. after this movie. Uh, every year since, uh, the town of Santa Cruz has shown that movie during the summer. That's a power play. Like that's a, that's pretty cool. I'd like, like to go to that. I, yeah, like you just hang out on the boardwalk. You do you go on all the rides, and then like there's a showing of uh, the Lost Boys. That would be that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think I that's would, one for the bucket list. I would just... so love to go there. <laughs> yeah, just on opening weekend stuff again. Like I think it stayed in like the top ten for like almost a full month. Damn. Yeah, but it like it went from like. Second to like third to like eighth or ninth, yeah. but like still hung in there, which is strong. Yeah, no, that's an impressive run. Yeah, uh, let's see. The saxophone player has his own fan page. What? I didn't know that. They he got his own fan page off of it. <laughs> that's kind. I of mean, nice. I can understand nowadays why he would have like. A stan page or a stan account? Yeah, in retrospect. Yeah, he if this if Tumblr had been around in the eighties, oh, he would just be. Wa- he would be all over it. Absolutely, <laughs> and and just in general, like this film, really instrumental in shifting the image of vampires, because also in nineteen eighty seven, the Monster Squad came out. Which was essentially... Have you ever heard of the Monster Squad? I don't think I have. It's essentially what would happen if you took the Universal Monsters and you uh, took the Goonies. You put them together in like an Avengers-style okay. sort of... Co- and it, basically, the Goonies meets the Avengers, but with the Universal Monsters. Okay. It didn't do very well, but it had like... Dracula was the main villain, so it was very much like this. They came out the same year, so it was that traditional version of vampires, and then this in the same year. So it was like this was really instrumental in like shifting how vampires were seen. Like without this movie, you wouldn't have had the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie in ninety two, and then you wouldn't have the series, and you wouldn't have Twilight pretty much without this because. For better or worse. Yeah, I actually, when I was doing research, I found out that it was, like, one of the main inspirations for Joss Whedon making Buffy. Yeah. But also, when you mentioned Twilight just there, I actually noticed one thing. When they were leaving the cave after attacking that one vampire in there, they are they come out and they are covered in glitter. <laughs> and I find that, like, maybe it's not connected. Maybe it has absolutely no. nothing to do with Twilight. But I really hope that, was it Stephanie Meyer that wrote Twilight, I think it yeah. was? I really hope that that was just, like, subconsciously, that was in her head. And she was like, vampires, sparkles. 
That's it. <laughs> oh, she would definitely have watched this movie at some point before she making Twilight. Have. You yeah. can't write a book about vampires no. and have not seen you, The Lost Boys. Absolutely. But like <laughs> I said, you know, this was very much... I feel like this is the movie where it's like, you need this to go from Nosferatu and like the Chris, the Christopher Lee Dracula movies or whatnot. Yeah, it was a real Between, transitioning film. Yeah, also, um, Kiefer Sutherland's dad was in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Oh, shit. Yeah, guy from Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so again, this, I would say this may be the most instrumental, maybe one of the most important modern vampire films. Oh, absolutely. All, yeah. No one, well, a few, a few films have come close, but no one's really done it the same way that the Lost Boys did it. Yeah. But that's so very clearly what so many were trying to do. Like, everyone tried to copy that. Yeah. So, final thoughts on the film? Um, fantastic soundtrack. Um, those two songs playing throughout the entire film. Some of my favorite things. I had them on my phones for years. Um, really good cast. Really, really sad what happened to most of the cast afterwards. But really good cast in the film. <laughs> um, and Just the, the style. Chorus. Yeah, the style, the music, the cast. It's just... It was such a good film to watch. Yes. I love it because it's like... I love 80s music. I love 80s cut. Yes. 80s clothes. You know, I love 80s extraness. And it's like, this is all that. Yeah. This is a movie that could only be made in the 80s. Yeah, and it's it's one of those films where, without fail, every time, I sing along to... The soundtrack, and it's not like diegetic sound that's like meant to mm. exist within the world of the film. It's just in the yeah. background, and I'll just be singing along to like, right. "People Are Strange" or "Cry Little Sister," and I just I know the words from like watching it so many times. It's like there's certain eighties movies that are timeless. Yeah. But there's also eighties movies that are timelessly eighties. Yeah. And this is one <laughs> of those timelessly eighties. Yeah, it's perfect. I do like that the fashion and the style of the eighties is starting to come back. Yes. That's pretty cool. Uh and yeah, like I'm not the biggest vampire guy, but this is by far my favourite vampire movie. Yeah, I would have been pretty big into vampire films growing up. Yeah. But The Lost Boys, like when I watched that one, I was like, damn. This is a good like this is genuinely just a great film through yeah. through. But yeah, and like, yeah, but like this, maybe top five 80s movies, and that's saying something. Yeah, like, and I'm I'm a big fan of I mean, 80s films. I mean, obviously, Back to the Future for me is always number one. Back to the Future, I need to have at least one John Hughes film in there. Mm. Probably The Breakfast Club. I know it's so overdone, but mm. it is just, it is such a classic. Obviously, I'd have Die Hard on mine, but that's just like favorite action movie overall and also like maybe one of the john carpenter a, films a giant mm, same the yeah slasher films and stuff from the 80s horror was in a whole other area absolutely the they, they were horror and sci-fi yeah they made such strides in the 80s yeah uh but anyway thank you for thank you for coming on the podcast thank you for having me <laughs> thank you for thank you for being a great guest and just um you know, enjoy, like, sharing the love of the um, oily saxophone guy. <laughs> oh, how could you not? I mean, those skin-tight yeah. pants and that sweaty chest. That's, they knew what they were doing when they made that scene. <laughs> Sometimes Joel Schumacher is a genius. Yes. That is a genius moment. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh. 
Anyway, thank you very much. Uh, like I said, next week's episode, I do not know what that will be yet. Figure it out. Yes. <laughs> uh, but again, thank you for being on the show, Alfie. Thank you for having thank me, you for, Thank you for not being Watch Dean again. <laughs> we do love Dean. We love him. We love him. But, you know, it's nice to have... So- it's, it's nice to be able to get someone with the facts again. Yes. Yeah. I got this. Because, again, every time I have... Like, oh, Dean, this is a good fact. It's like... I also have that fact down. I was like, God damn you. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you all for listening. Thanks again, Alfie, for coming on the podcast. Uh, until next time, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>